0: this week on double-edged sword cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture Father Leo Blazy talks about healing and Jesus's mercy How do we recognize that we are in need of Jesus's mercy? Well let's find out Father Leo Blazy is being interviewed by Divine Mercy radio's on-air host Cody Marinzer. All right. I want to welcome in uh, Father
1: Leo Blasey. Um He is an earthly father and grandfather, which is pretty awesome. That, that's fantastic because he gets to see all sides of this. Um, after his wife died, he entered the priesthood and was ordained um, on June 3rd, 2017, at Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina. Father Leo is, a re- is retired from the U.S. Army, where he was a mechanic, then a helicopter pilot, and eventually a, ma- a maintenance test pilot. Currently, Father Leo is the the pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Plainville and Saint Thomas Church in Stockton. Uh, Bishop Vinky has named Father Leo chaplain of the Flame of Love movement in the Diocese of Salina, and he travels around the diocese conducting prayer and healing services. What do you not do? I mean, is there? (laughs) Do we want to go with a shorter list? (laughs) uh, You probably cook. You clean. Yeah, I mean.
2: Yeah, I, I don't cook as much as I did when the kids were at home because I don't like cooking for one person. But
1: Yeah, gotcha.
2: Um, yeah, managed the household for a while with three kids by myself. So that was good experiences, along with all the other good experiences I've got. Um just found out a little a couple months ago that our, my 15th grandchild is on the way. Woo-hoo, that Not, is another awesome. boy.
1: <laughs> How many boys do you have? 12
2: of the, the 15. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations. That, that's an awesome blessing. Wow. Let us get into um, – uh, Father Blazey's here uh, to talk to us today um, about healing and Jesus' mercy. Um, so uh, Pope Francis says that uh, the church needs to be a field hospital – oh, yeah, this is great – needs to be a field hospital. What do you think he meant by that? You, you might be the right guy to ask on this one.
2: Well, Before we get into the question, let's sure. go ahead and start with a prayer. Hmm. And I'm gonna, we're gonna pray with a unity prayer, which is one of the flame of love prayers. Okay. So, In the name of the Father, the and of the, the Son, and Son of of the Holy
0: Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen.
2: My adorable Jesus, may our feet journey together. May our hands gather in unity. May our hearts beat in unison. May our souls be in harmony. May our thoughts be as one. May our ears listen to the silence together. May our glances profoundly penetrate each other. And may our lips pray together to gain mercy from the Eternal Father. Amen. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ, save us and the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ, save, save us and us in the whole world. world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ, save, save us, us and the whole world. world. In the name of the Father, Father and, the and, the Son, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit.
1: Amen. Well, thank you, Father. You're welcome. That is awesome. Now, the reason why I think, um, obviously, everybody can probably figure it out, but um, Pope Francis saying the church needs to be a field hospital. Um, You've literally been in the field, you know. The
2: the last um, 10 years of my military career, I was a medevac pilot, so.
1: Wow. I have a special place in my heart for all um, military men and women, so first, thank you for that very much, but also priests, thank you for that very much. So you're sitting here as a, as a hero to me, uh, but can you just because of that, I, I, can you give me a little bit of background in uh, military service and stuff? And
2: okay, would that uh, be okay? Or sure, okay. Um, I joined the, the Kansas National Guard back in 1985 um, as a mechanic um, on sky cranes, the, the great big helicopters. Yeah. And uh, wow, as a, as a mechanic on those, um, the access. Into the the body of that helicopter is very limited because the main part of the helicopter is open for being able to to lift cargo. So, I crawl 85 feet back into the tail boom of this <laughs> helicopter and go back and and do work or find a broken wire. Um, it was a really interesting career to to have that. But my intent when I got in was to to go to flight school. So, okay. Um, from the time I got in, I pro I was processing for flight school. It took me two and a half years to. To get that process accomplished and get to go to Fort Rucker and and do my flight school so in, in 88 I had attended flight school and uh, came back to the state qualified in Blackhawk helicopters and so I served the state of Kansas for another year and then because Kansas was delayed in getting Blackhawks we were supposed to get them in in 1990 and it got delayed indefinitely so they didn't know when they were going to get them I transferred down to the Oklahoma National Guard for 10 years and flew the Blackhawks down there. And then once the, the, the Hawks came back to the state of Kansas, or came to the state of Kansas, I came back to the state of Kansas and okay. and went to the Salina unit and, and remained there for the the remainder of my career. Um, and the last 10 years, I actually worked full time for the Kansas National Guard at the unit there in, in Salina. Um, so we were a uh, when I sci- when I joined up we were a, a, a su- aerial support unit, which means we basically moved troops and people around. Okay. Um, and then for the last ten years I was a medevac pilot. So um, when I deployed to Bosnia in 2002 for a year, it was as um, support, carrying people around. And my deployment in Iraq was a medevac deployment. So, wow.
1: So that leads right into then um, you, you you being there um, and, and seeing that as it was, which is really I I actually just heard this for the first time about a week ago. I think it was actually when I was at NCYC. So one of the presenters had said something about this, um, and you know was talking about um, not just um, the uh, the church being a hospital, but it being a field hospital, and that gives a different type of view on it. Um, you know, can you give us Your thoughts on that quote.
2: Okay. Um, A hospital is an established location, Mm -hmm. usually a a building, a structure, where all the equipment that is necessary is there. The doctors are there. The the nurses and, and medical staff are there. A field hospital is oftentimes, especially in the military, a tent, where you have the minimal equipment necessary to do the things that are needed to do to to save people's lives. And um, in the medevac, when we were in Iraq, if our helicopter was down for some reason, maintenance, or, or if it was gone somewhere for taking another patient somewhere already, the ground units would cancel their operations because they wanted to have that immediate support there if something happened. Yeah, Because they know that the first hour is, is critical when something happens to, to get the care that's necessary. And and the best way to get that care quickly within that hour is to make sure that you have a medevac helicopter available to get you where you need to go. So um, because of the limited access to equipment and personnel, uh, we have to make sure that we have the capabilities, the training, the, the abilities to, to treat the people with the equipment that we have available and that's the same way we are in the church you know we often we run on shoestring budgets and we yeah. don't have all the best equipment the the, the most expensive equipment the most up to date equipment but we still have people that need care and so yeah. um, and we meet people where they are we don't expect people to always come in and, and go to a, a doctor's office or something that you know as a, as a catholic church we, we meet people where they are and so the, the picture of a field hospital is a perfect example of what we are as a church and, and how we operate in, in helping to save lives. Wow, fantastic. In a a more profound way sometimes than the actual military field (laughs)
1: hospitals. Wow. We were talking about um, uh, Pope Francis saying the church needs to be a field hospital. And as you were talking, Father, it actually made me think about how the church is both. Um, Because, you know, we have the actual church structure where you can go and get the sacraments anytime that they're being offered. You know, so that is the on-site. But I also know that I have been blessed many times when I was like, I really I really need to get to confession right now and I'll call a priest and they'll go yeah, when can you meet me can you meet me in the next 10 minutes Absolutely you know and, and so as you were talking you know one yeah it's it's the place where we we just have the hospital there but two also priests are always offering those sacraments when you need them and you know I'm all, I'm also thinking that uh, while you're saying that, we really got to start praying even more than we do for those vocations. Because even if we had, you know, you were talking about sometimes we don't have the uh, materials that we need or something like that, but you still do what you do. Um, even if we had, even if um, every um, parish was brand new, had everything that you needed and stuff like that, if we still don't have the priest, then it's like that Blackhawk sitting there with no one to fly it. Correct. And so then, yeah, your operations just shut down um you know and and, and so that that's what came to my mind as you're saying this is like that puts even more on my mind how huge the need is for more medics in, in
2: our church field hospital yeah, and and the second thing we got to realize is that the field ho- hospital is never the end game we a field hospital does what is necessary in the emergent care to 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 remedy the immediate situation but there always has to be a place to, to move the people to yeah. to take them from the, the field to the the better care, the, the longer term care, which is what the church is, and and so we always, when we're when we're caring for people in the field, we're always encouraging them. You know, you need to go to church regularly. You need to avail yourself mm-hmm. on the sacraments. We you need to take, make use of those spiritual aids that are available to you on a regular basis just as if you go to a, a regular doctor you, you don't wait until you need to be in the hospital to go see the doctor at least i hope you don't
1: yeah um, well i need to get better at that but the, yeah right.
2: there, there are i know some people that are that way but yeah you're right the, the reality is is that if you have con, you know if you have a doctor and you go and you get regular medical care it's less likely that you're going to need uh-huh. to go to the hospital but but as a church we have to be available for those that need that emergent care and 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 get that to them Wherever they need it to be at.
1: Well, then I think that brings another good question up for me um, that you can answer, um, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but either way, you can help us understand it. Um, you know, did you ever um, see pick up somebody, help somebody that didn't understand the severity of their wounds? It happened pretty regularly. Okay, so th- that that then is since you since you know of that and have probably seen it then. Um, th- I think that's a good understanding of us, too, is... We, we
2: are all in denial of how serious our situation is in our relationship with God. <laughs> okay, can you go into that a little bit further then? Thank you. Uh, as a human race, we, we tend to look at ourselves in a way that reduces our flaws and enhances our, our good things, our good qualities. And so we neglect to address those flaws because we refuse to to recognize that we have them. Yeah, um, It's the same way in our medical care. Again, you know, people don't like to go to the doctor, so they deny that they have an issue until it gets to a level where they can't take enough pills and stuff to address it without going to see the doctor. So uh, in our spiritual life, it's the same way. We, you know, we we cover things up. We hide things. We... We deny that they're even there. Um, in our world today, especially with pornography and, and addictions, people don't like to admit that they have addictions. Yeah, and especially with pornography. I, you know, I know for a long time, if you'd ask anybody if they were addicted to pornography, nobody would would say it was an addiction. Mm-hmm. Do I view pornography ten times a day? Yeah, but that's not an addiction. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. How, how do you define addiction? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's really a very common thing in our culture for us to, to to deny those things that are that are really affecting our lives, and that's the reason that we have marriages that are breaking down. It's the reason that we have families that are breaking down because we refuse to recognize that that we are part of the problem. Yeah. Sometimes we are a big part of the problem. Yeah. So, um,
1: You know, go ahead. If I if I can ask you because this leads into that, uh, you and I I wouldn't suggest that you go out and watch Monty Python. You know, have you ever seen Monty Python? I have. Okay, Um, I think it's the Search for the Holy Grail, Mm -hmm. where they've got these two knights um, fighting each other, and you know, the one swings and like chops the other one's arm off, and the the guy looks, and there's blood squirting everywhere, and he's like, "Yeah, tis (laughs) a flesh wound," you know. (laughs) He ends up chopping all this guy's limbs off. I know I'm a little graphic. I apologize. Hope the kids aren't listening. Um, but, you know, the, the the guy there without any limbs now is hopping around and I'll bite you, you know. And and the other guys look and they're like, just quit, <laughs> you know. And I think that's actually a, a good visual for me that um, sometimes people on the outside, like you said, even with pornography, sometimes people on the outside can see it and they're like, you have no arms and legs. You can't even fight anymore. What are
2: you doing? You know, and when are you going to recognize But you know, these the, guy, the guy that's in the same category with that is going to look at that guy and say, he doesn't quit. He sticks <laughs> with it, he hangs in there. Yeah. So, yeah, you can view that as a positive. I got you. But do you view that as a positive until you no longer can breathe? Yeah. Where do you realize that? That, that one positive aspect is being destroyed by the negative aspects that are are taking you limb from limb. Yeah. So at some place you got to recognize where your limits are, and and you got to recognize the difference between what's good for you and what is not good for you.
1: Absolutely. And evil
2: is never good for you.
1: Yeah. And how do we then? um, I mean, I know I've got some answers here, but I want I want to hear you. How do we better recognize then? the need of our you know the need for healing of our wounds and even recognize the wounds that we have
2: well that's the key the, the first thing is we have to recognize that we are wounded and we are all wounded from the womb so
1: have, if you're have, listening folks one is you're wounded
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> right like, we we're, we're, we're all born with original sin the only one that was not born with original sin besides jesus is is mary yeah because of a special grace that god gave to her so the rest of us, we're, we're stuck. We've, we're in that situation. We're in that category that says we, we have been damaged by original sin. Yeah, and so that's the first wound that we have to recognize. Um, a great blessing for many of us is that we were baptized even yep. before we knew what baptism was, and that's a, a, a remedy for that wound. But it doesn't remove the scar that we have mm-hmm. from that wound, and and that scar is always there to for the devil to use to try to say, you know, you still have this, it's still there. And he draws us in with that. Um, The devil is the father of lies and the prince of all lies and he is the the author of death itself and so, you know, he's constantly trying to take us down the road that's going to lead to our destruction. Not because he likes us, not because he wants us, not because there's an affiliation with with him that, that he desires but because he wants to take us away from God. Yeah. And the best way for him to do that is to destroy us. So the devil is not your friend. No. And he never will be. No. Even if you end up in hell, the devil is not going to be your friend. Correct. So uh, when I was in high school, I had a bunch of buddies of mine that said, you know, I'm just going to keep partying and when I go to hell, I'll just party with all my buddies in hell. Well, they had no concept of what hell is. Yeah. And you may be there with a bunch of your friends, but you're not going to know they're there. Hell is yeah. a is a place of total deprivation. You, you don't see anything. You don't feel anything. You don't hear anything. That is the torture of hell. That is the fire that's described in the scriptures of hell is because you're burning for relationship and there's nothing there for you that is what hell is for all of eternity so wrap your mind around that for wow. a minute
1: yeah creatures who were made for relationship can never have the fullness cannot of even communicate cannot even, uh, now sometimes it's be, well it's generally always for their safety sometimes prisoners are put into solitary confinement however from my understanding you leave a person in solitary confinement for too long they just start to go nuts they will
2: yeah their brain just for some people it's only days yeah exactly there there are some strong people that last for a year or a couple of years in solitary without being nuts but um, literally within days people start to go crazy when they're isolated so now extrapolate that out across eternity across eternity there's
1: no way that you can look at that and be like Oh, that would be a great time.
2: You cannot get a positive from it at all. No, nope. Nothing. That's nope. what hell is. Total negative, total deprivation. Wow. Forever. Wow.
1: Then, you know, all right, so we went there. <laughs> we did. had to get to the heavy stuff mm-hmm. to get to the good stuff. Right. Especially when you're talking about pornography and stuff. Uh, I've talked with I used to teach at TMB. So talked with lots of young people about this. You know, um, I have conversations with my own children about this, you know, um, and we know how terrible this is, especially for kids. Now, there are a lot of kids, you know, that um, see their first pornographic pictures by eight, 10 years old. Um, And so especially in something like that, um, first off, our brains can't are never developed, really, to the point of taking something like that in. But especially not as a child. You know, as a child, your brain is not developed. So it doesn't understand. There are studies that show that
2: your brain, at least the sexual maturity part of your brain, ceases to grow when you see the first pornographic image. Wow. So if you see a pornographic image when you're seven years old, that's where you are sexually stuck for the rest of your life. Now, there are ways to break that Mm -hmm. if you get the right help and the right doctors who recognize that -hmm. that's a reality. But our young people are being trapped in their brain at whatever age they they start to view pornography. Yep, And, you know, it's obvious.
1: Oh, very. I think so, too. If you
2: know young people that are addicted to pornography, you look at them and you say, they are not at their normal age level. Yeah. In, in the way that they communicate with people, the way they, they love each other and they share with each other, they, they are not at their at the age of their body. Yeah, And it's because they have been viewing pornography from a very young age, for many of them, most of them, um, and it has done damage to them.
1: Yeah. You know, for a lot of young boys, too, um, I know this um, from I'm talking with lots of young men. Um, that it, it does trap them. I, I mean, I, I believe exactly what you're saying because I've seen it. Um, it does trap them in that adolescent state of mind. And you find that boys who are 17, 18, 19 years old, they're actually very, very immature. Um, the, their maturity level is like you look at them and you're like, what are you, 12? You know, um, and, and I, I think that is why. And, and so... I want us to then move toward, you know, like, how do we then um, find healing and help with things, especially like that, you know, um, with, with addictions to pornography, um, the, the rampant sexual sins that are out there, um, and, and, you know, like all kinds of personality disorder sins, you know, all that stuff can be lumped into a we don't know who we are as a person. Where do you find healing for that?
2: We have a lot of youth organizations that are are really doing a lot of good work um, local levels but but on the national levels and stuff too the ncyc that just occurred brings young people together and shows them the reality of, of what life can be like living in a in a faithful community mm-hmm. uh, and i think a lot of people have been missing that for a number of years i think in the I think the church in the United States was not prepared for the sexual revolution. They didn't have an answer, um, and so we have a, a couple of generations of, of people that have lived through adolescence with the, all of the the wildness of the sexual revolution in the United States, and they were never able to get answers on what they how they were supposed to respond to that. So they just went along with it. Yeah. And once you're in it. It's just like any other addiction. It's hard to see, and it's hard to get out of. Uh-huh. And so I would encourage um, young people to, to be involved in organizations, faith-filled organizations, with, with other young people that are living faithful lives so that they can see and witness what it means to to really have a real relationship with, with other people. Yeah, um, Many of our young people are the only relationships they have today is with a video game. <laughs> yep. And those are not healthy either. They're, yeah. they're, they're a, a major source of addiction for people under 17 years old. Um, and there are studies coming out and, and evidence coming out that the game designers are intentionally designing them to be addictive.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, they want to buy their product.
2: Yep. And so uh, Dr. Ray Grindy says that People under 17 should be limited to one hour of screen time a day. People under 12 shouldn't have screen time. Wow. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, young minds are easily influenced and they're, yeah. they're easily brought into addictions. And so that's the purpose of those people that want to sell them things and, and to get them on things is because it's easier to get them addicted the younger you get them. So, yeah. Uh, And the school systems are not helping the public school systems that are introducing those things to the five and six year olds that shouldn't be introduced to anybody in school, period. Yeah. Um, So we have a a severe crisis in the world, but especially in this nation, where our young people are not mentally healthy, they are not spiritually healthy, and they are not physically healthy. You're a coach, right? Yes, sir. Are, are kids today in the same shape as kids were 20 years ago?
1: I would say no. Yeah. I mean, yes, you find those select few but, that will, are willing to work hard and everything, but but definitely, I think that um, as a whole, as a whole, no, I, I can very confidently say not. You know, and, and one of the things that um, you did mentioned there that I really appreciate because a lot of times, you know, if I ask this question, you know, people are going to say st- stuff like, and I think it's great, like covenant eyes, you know, put that on your phone, um, bark, um, put that on your phone, your kids' appliances, stuff like that. But first thing you said is, um, make good relationships. A- and that is very important because critically, with, important. without that piece, yeah, you can have as many stop gaps as you want but if there's no real relationships, then kids don't know how to, duh, have a relationship. You know, and so that's kind of one of those things that, too, you know, if you have a kid who's been wounded in one way or another, um, you know, we, we, we don't have to say wounded by um, mental or physical abuse, but wounded by pornography, you know, um, that creates, you know, this is one of my things that I've always tried to teach, like I said, my kids, students, everything else, is w- when you view pornography, you will immediately see yourself and the other person differently than you ever did before.
2: So I would correct you on one thing. In, sure. in my opinion, sure, pornography is mental abuse.
1: You know, okay. Yes. I would agree abuse. with you. I would agree with you. <laughs> um, I kind of meant from. I, yes. I
2: understand what you're, so you're saying, right. but I just need to make that point that, yes, sir. that pornography is abuse. Mm-hmm. It's a objectification and a, a super sensitivity to desiring what comes from objectification because you don't understand yep. what objectification is. Um, if you are objectifying another person, you are abusing them. Yes, sir. If you are using them as an object, that is abuse. People were not made to be used. Yep. People are made to be loved. And so that's where the first answer for all of this has to start. Wow. And so, you know, the book of the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel gives uh, some apocryphal prophecies. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of his conversation, he's speaking of the temple. And of course, the Hebrew people recognize that as a building in, in Jerusalem. But in the prophecies of the scripture understood through the, the lens of the New Testament, the temple is Jesus Christ. And we, because we are members of the body, are, are part of the temple. But in Ezekiel's prophecy, it talks about rivers flowing from the temple. One flows to the east and, and goes to the, the great sea in the east, and one flows to the west and goes to the great sea of the west. And in pondering that, that prophecy, I, I just saw the mercy of God revealed in, in what the prophet says. So, so how is God's, God's mercy revealed in rivers and in seas? So we think of what's in a river. Water. And what is water? H2O. H2O. Very simple, right?
1: Well, I was hoping that's the answer you were looking for. It is. (laughs) You hit it right
2: on the head. Um, Water is a very simple chemical. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. So how does God help us in a way that, that water helps us? So the river flowing to the east is God's love, two parts God's love, one part God's mercy. Instead of H2O, it's L2M. And the river flows, so it's not a trickle. You, know, you don't have to go and, and try to soak the water out of the, the stone yeah. or the sand. It's a flowing river that flows from, from the love of Jesus Christ. And each of us needs an abundance of that water, the water of God's love. And God pours his love on us, and in his love, his mercy is granted to us. So who is God? When we say God is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, my goodness. Well, this is I am. <laughs> okay. But but we have a saying. We say God is
1: one God. God is love. Oh yes, thank you. God is love. (laughs) That's
2: that's the beginning point of everything in understanding God. God is love. And then we speak of mercy. Can we say God is mercy?
1: Yes. No. No? Tell me why not?
2: Because mercy is an attribute. Oh. Mercy flows from God. Yeah. Mercy is of God. But God is not mercy. God is merciful. Mm, yes. But God is love. Covers all of that. So, God is love, and from that love flows mercy. What was the first act of mercy that God did, as far as creation is concerned? Well, what's your
1: what's your definition of mercy? If you're using kind of what we were talking about here yesterday, where if you're looking at there was an offense and then mercy is to give to someone who doesn't deserve it, Okay. um, then it would be um, to give Adam and Eve the promise of redemption.
2: If it was before that— Human. Human. You're thinking as a human. Okay. (laughs) Then learn me. (laughs) God lives in the eternal present. Correct. God was aware before he created anything— that we were gonna sin. Correct. So the first act of God's mercy is creation. Okay. Because God knew Mm. what creation was going to do, what what was gonna happen in creation. Mm -hmm. And so a just God without mercy, a just God without love, would've just not created. Yeah. It's not just to create if, you don't have mercy so God in his infinite love showed mercy on mankind by creating and then bringing about the things necessary for his mercy to be effective so that we have the possibility of of living with him for eternity so God's mercy was from the beginning Yeah. in the beginning there was God and with God in the beginning was His mercy. And God's mercy has been there for us ever since. And the devil tries to convince us that God is vengeful and God is hateful and God is spiteful and God is mean. I've had people come up and tell me I'm reading the Old Testament and God is mean. (laughs) We talked about that yesterday. God is mean. And I said you're not reading the Old Testament the way it's intended to be read. (laughs) because the people that wrote the old testament didn't have any other way of speaking about the things that happened except to attribute them to God because they didn't understand God's mercy so when you read the old testament with just the old testament in view it seems that God is vengeful you know people would do things and God reacted and it punished them and they brought the flood and He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The reality of it is is God didn't do those things. God allowed them to happen. They are consequences of human brokenness. And so when man's sin became so great that the world could not sustain it, the flood came and the people were wiped out. But in God's mercy, seven humans survived. He gave them a way out. Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pled with God. If there are 50 people in the city, <laughs> Goes you, all the will, you, will you spare the city? In the end, there were five. Mm-hmm. Lot's family. And rather than spare the city, God sent Lot and his family out. Yeah. So that they would be spared because... They deserve to be spared. Yeah, because you couldn't even find ten
1: righteous people in that city. You know, I do love that story because he bargains with God all the well, what if
2: well how what bold. If, <laughs> how I know bold what, how was how bold. Exactly.
1: Like, woo, you, you testing it. But also that like that's a perfect view of God's mercy. It's like, all right, fine. All right, fine, all right, fine.
2: So we yeah. go to the story of Jonah. God says, go to Nineveh. Tell them I'm going to destroy the city. Yeah. Is that because God's mean? No. God sent a messenger. You know, Mm -hmm. he could have just said, boom, you're done. He said, go tell them. They're they're headed for destruction. What was Jonah's first response? Yeah, first he tries to run away. He says, I'm not going to do that because I know you. Yeah, exactly. I know you, God. If I go and tell them, you're going to redeem them. You're going to. Exactly. If they, they repent, you're going to let them back in, and I don't like the And new so device. Jonah left, and he said, I'm not going to go that way. Yeah, And God brought him back. And not only did he not kill Jonah, he could have killed Jonah. You know, the whale could have swallowed him, oh, and he would yeah. have been dead. God spared him Yeah, and called him back for the vocation that he was made for. And Jonah finally says, okay, I'll yeah. go up there. And he starts preaching, and the people of Nineveh repent from their mistakes. Quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> yes. Within three days. And then Jonah goes up to the top of the hill to watch the destruction. <laughs> he, he's convinced that it's going to happen. He, he he's just wants it to happen so bad. And then he's mad at God for not yeah. doing it. Yep. God says, why? What are you mad about? That I am merciful. Why are you mad that I am merciful? Yeah. And Jonah just couldn't let it go. He just. And that's the way we are. We get mad at God for being merciful to us. You know, I want to continue to do what I'm doing. So why are you so merciful to me? Just <laughs> let me continue my sin and let me believe that you won't do anything for me because, and then I can justify it. But God won't yeah. let us justify our sin.
1: Man, isn't that very important? Because uh, yeah, you're exactly right. If you would just, if you would just show me that you are vengeful, and that I can just basically see, ha, you are just waiting to that, squash That, that
2: me. gives me the license to do what I want to do. Yeah, but that's not our God. And so, flowing out to the east. Why is the east important?
1: Sun rises in the east.
2: Well, yeah, but when God (laughs) sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, which way did they go? Oh man, I would imagine to the west. No, it is to the east, huh? East of Eden. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's been a little. I mean, (laughs) they they were sent out to the east, and and wasn't God's forcing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, Eden? Vengeful?
1: No, not at all. Actually, because, well, I mean, I guess I could go into a long tirade as to um, (laughs) some some trying to understand that. But, I mean, um, a lot of it is um, imagine if God let them stay and live forever in their sinfulness. That sounds more like hell
2: than heaven to me. Exactly. So what was in the garden that that would have caused them to live forever?
1: Uh, The tree of
2: life. The tree of life. Yeah. So God expelled them from the garden to prevent them from eating from the tree of life, because if they li- if they ate from the tree of life, they would live forever in their sin.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No opportunity for salvation.
1: Yeah.
2: So mercy was in God's act of, of pushing them from the garden and putting an angel at the gate to make sure they didn't come back in. It was not about vengeance. It was not about punishing them. Yeah. Put, taking them out of the garden wasn't punishment. It was. Protection. It was the first step of salvation. Yeah. Because they had to be able to die to be able to be saved. Again, God's mercy in action. And all through the story of the Old Testament, God's mercy is in action.
1: Yeah.
2: With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with David, with the prophets. With the people of Israel, exile into Babylon. It wasn't punishment, it was God's mercy. All to bring about the opportunity for the one to come into the world that could affect our salvation. Wow, good place for us to take a pause. Take a pause.
0: (laughs) We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. Healing and Jesus' Mercy with Father Leo Blazy will be right back here on Divine Mercy Radio. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Healing and Jesus's mercy. Father Leo Blazy. Cody Marinzer conducts the interview. Father Leo
1: Blazy, uh, we've been walking through. Um, we got into a little bit of a discussion here um, about the Old Testament and, and God's mercy, so that um, hopefully people can understand um, the, the merciful uh, God that we have. Um, and um, stop misunderstanding, um, you know, this, uh, this misinterpretation misinter- of um, angry, vengeful, I just want to drop you into a pit type of God. So we're going to kind of move from there then um, a- a- and go into, you know, that, that mercy in our own lives um, and, and wherever you want to take us from there. What do you say,
2: Father? So I, I, I don't want to just drop the, the second part of the ocean, the, you know, the, the water flowing to the west. The water flowing to the West, the, the two things that are involved in the water flowing to the West are faith and grace. Okay. So instead of H2O, it's F2G. <laughs> okay. God grants us faith and grace. So once we've been saved through the water flowing to the East, we are moved into the water flowing to the West. God gives us faith and grace, and he builds on that, and our lives are are made to be wonderful in the love of God and the relationship that we have with him. So. So that's the objective: is to get to where the the flowing water flowing to the west. And the way that that happens, first off, is that Christ came into the world. And what was a major part of Christ's teaching mission when he went out to the people? In almost every story, there's a story of healing. Okay. We have the lepers. We have the person with the shriveled arm. We have the mm-hmm. blind and the deaf and the lame, and the dead.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and in almost every story in the New Testament there's the story of Christ healing and even the story of Mary Magdalene who had no physical abnormalities there was a healing of a spiritual abnormality, she had demons that were possessing her and and she was healed by Christ, so when we think of healing, especially when we're thinking of, of the church and healing We always have to look at body, mind, and spirit. We are integrated and we need to think of all those things. So a a little over a year ago, we started a healing ministry in the diocese and traveled to a number of parishes over the last year. Um, And we had nights of healing faith. And it was important to have the faith aspect in the title of the, the healing ministry because Jesus' last statement to everyone he healed is, your faith has saved you. So, night of healing faith. And when when the people come to us on those nights, we ask them, what is it that you need to be healed from mentally, physically, and or spiritually? So we want them to look at every aspect of their life and we want them to ask God for his healing grace. And we always begin those services with confession and adoration. So we, we expose the Blessed Sacrament. We have a, a period of time for confessions, and it usually flows through the whole period of adoration um, because it's important for us to be in the right relationship with God when we approach Him and ask for healing. Uh, Christ was able to heal some sinners that were not ready to, to change their way of life. But most of the time and in most of our lives when, when God chooses to heal us it is because we are in the right relationship with Him and we have asked Him for the healing. And so it's key for us to make sure that we are in that right relationship when we approach God and ask for healing. And again when you're addicted and when you have those kind of issues in your life it's really hard to get to that place. So we, for those that are, are struggling with that, um, it's good to give them an opportunity to come together and really talk about yeah. where they need to be yeah. and to give them a plan on how to get there because that's for an addict, they have to know that there is a way. If there's no hope, then there's no reason for the struggle. Yeah. And addicts struggle greatly. And people that get out of addictions know what it means to struggle. Yeah. They know what it means to to resist and to fight that thing that has a grip on them. Yeah. But they have to know that there is a way. And if you give them a way, then many of them are able to and willing to to go to fight the good fight to get where they need to go. Yeah. Uh, so I've been grateful for that God has blessed me with this opportunity to present healing to the people of this diocese. And uh, one of the things that I emphasize when I go out since we're running out of time is that you as a parishioner, you as a lay person in the diocese, have a right to expect your priest to offer you healing. That's part of our ministry. Mm-hmm. That's part of what we are ordained for. That's one of our sacraments, is the anointing of the sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, among a couple of the other sacraments, very neglected in our church today. When, I go to, when I've go when i gone to different parishes, the, th- the three that I've been assigned to and a number of different ones that I've visited, um, and asked people what anointing of the sick is for, 98% of the people will say, well, it's when you're dying. <laughs> no, that's yeah. extreme unction. That's the last rites. And we do, by the way, we still do have last rites. Yeah. Some people say, well, we, we don't have the last rites anymore. We have the anointing of the sick. And it's for when you're dying. And it's that's not true. The anointing of the sick is for when you're sick. The, the, yeah. the scripture that's quoted at the beginning of the anointing of the sick says, are there any among you who are sick? Yeah doesn't say are there any among you who are dying it says are there any among you who are sick let them send for the priest of the church and the priest will pray over them and anoint them with oil and God will do what God will do do not be afraid to ask for healing and don't limit it just to physical health issues if you're struggling with a mental health situation if you're struggling with spiritual health Come to the priest and ask them to anoint you. Ask them to to give you those graces through the sacrament by which God desires to heal you. And don't allow that to be neglected. When it comes to time for someone to die, then we do the anointing along with the last rites, the other rites, mm-hmm. the confession and the, the communion and the apostolic pardon those are part of the last rites and please if you know somebody that's dying call a priest yeah in time for them to get there before yeah. they die
1: absolutely
2: so many times i get a phone call so-and-so just died well why didn't you call me an hour ago well it was two o'clock in the morning i don't care i want to be there for them when they die that's yeah. part of my ministry I want to be there for them when they die. And I want to be there for you when they die. Yeah. It is as much for the family as it is for the person dying that a priest is is present at, at a person's death. I can say the, the prayers three hours, 10 hours, 12 hours before they die. And most of the people, that when they die, they've been comatose for that long. So they have everything they need at that point. But the reason that I need to be there when the person dies is to be there to support the family that is there that's suffering, that is questioning, that is wanting to know that their loved one has gone to meet God. And when a priest is there praying the prayers of commendation and, and offering the litany of the saints and praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, those things all bring so much comfort to the family and that brings healing. A number of people when we're doing the funeral arrangements or after the funeral come to me and say, Father, you know, I was struggling so much. And then when we were praying those prayers, that litany of the saints, it was so beautiful. And and it just helped me to know that God was there in that moment. And it helped me to, to really, have comfort in their dying, that they were going to be okay. Yeah. And when you are in a hospital with someone that's dying and you and maybe one of your brothers or sisters or your your mother or your father are the only ones there and it's dark and it's stark and it's painful, that does not bring comfort and it does not bring good memories. And so please, please. yeah. Call your priest and let them know when you believe that it's about time. There are unfortunate situations where people are going to die unexpectedly. My Aunt Patty passed away two weeks ago, and my my cousin was traveling um, and was unable to get back, and she passed away while he was gone. Those things happen. Yeah, But in most situations, especially in a hospital situation, there's warning. There's a little bit of... Call the priest, have them come, and let them do what they can do for your loved one and what they can do for you. Absolutely. That is a major part of the healing that our church needs in this country. Yes, sir.
1: We are talking with Father Leo Blasey. We have just a couple minutes left. Um, So, uh, Father, I'm going to let you kind of leave us off with, um, you know, we talked about a lot of different things mercy healing and all kinds of different situations and stuff like that um is there just one or two really quick things that you want to leave us with we've got about
2: 3 minutes okay so the the bishop has asked me to stop going out to parishes other parishes for my healing ministries he's concerned that that I'm going to wear myself out but he has thanked me for the ministry itself yeah and has told me that you know Whenever you need to do something, let me know and, and, and I said and I told him, I said, I'm, my plan is going forward right now four times a year to have a night of healing faith at the parish in Plainville and to put that out so that people can come and, and take advantage of that if they want to. And I will continue to encourage to encourage other priests to have healing services at their own parishes, but so there but there will be a healing ministry in the diocese on a regular scheduled basis. Four times a year on First Fridays um, at Plainville. So keep your eye open for that if you desire to come and, and take advantage of that, um, and and talk to your priest and make sure that they are offering all the sacraments to you that you need: confession, anointing, the Blessed Sacrament, whatever it is. Um, we're busy, <laughs> sometimes too busy. But our ministry is bringing the sacraments to the people. And if we're failing in that, then we are failing in our ministry. So let the priest know that you desire for them to give you the sacraments and let the priest know that it's their responsibility to to bring you the sacraments.
1: Well, thank you for being a medic in our field hospital. (laughs) Um,
2: Can I close in a prayer?
1: Absolutely, please. um, If you close us in a prayer and uh, your blessing.
2: In the name of the Father, and the the Son, Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit, Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend defend us in battle. battle. Be Be our our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God God rebuke him, we humbly pray. pray, And and do thou, Prince Prince of the heavenly host, by the power power of God, cast into hell Satan and all all the evil spirits. spirits who prowl throughout the the world, seeking seeking the ruin ruin of souls. souls. Amen. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Most sacred heart of Jesus. Have
1: mercy on us. Most
2: immaculate heart of Mary.
1: Pray for us.
2: St. Joseph.
1: Pray for us. St.
2: Leo the Great. Pray for us. St. Gregory. Pray for us. St. Martin. Pray for us. All you holy angels and saints. Pray for us. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the The Son, and the Holy Holy
0: Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen.
2: Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword,
0: cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you have a comment on this show or an idea for a future show, go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. Or you can text your comment or idea to 785-621-4110. And folks, don't forget, great shows like this one you just heard are listener-supported. If you can support this station, and help save souls for heaven go to dvmercy.com and click on the donate button you're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio if today you hear his voice harden not your heart